it's philosophy talk. Give me an example of a genuine philosophical problem that's not verbal. And Popper said, whether it's ethical to threaten a visiting speaker with the poker. Falsifiability, testability, the philosophy of Karl Popper. Popper felt that the non-scientific theories, which are metaphysical, could be true or not. You just can't test them, but you can criticize them. Why does it matter if a theory is scientific? Now, you just haven't made the Popperian switch in your thinking, Ken. Uh, knowledge progresses by bold conjectures, and the reason we believe the things we believe today is because they haven't been refuted. Our guest is Dennis Phillips from the Stanford School of Education. You have to, in the end, blame your theory some stage, and if you constantly blame everything else, then you're being a Freudian or a Marxist, but not being a scientist. Separating science from non-science. The philosophy of Karl Popper. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the beautiful Stanford campus. And from that oasis of thought, we migrate to this oasis of the air, and from the air to the internet via our blog. I don't know what kind of oasis that is, but our motto is Cogito Ergo Blogo. I think, therefore, I blog. Go check it out. Ken, today we're talking about Karl Popper. Now, Karl Popper wrote a couple of great books on social and political theory, The Open Society and its Enemies, and uh, The Poverty of Historicism. But today he's mostly remembered for his work in philosophy of science. And as a matter of fact, he's been in the news lately. Right. Uh, there's a lot of debate about uh, string theory and whether it has any testable consequences. And Popper had this falsifiability theory of what counts as science. If it doesn't have testable consequences that can't be false, consequences that aren't in principle subject to falsification, it's not science. So maybe by Popper's like string theory wouldn't be science. Yes. Now, Popper differed from people in, a, in the 20th century known as logical positivists in that he didn't say that if it wasn't science, it was meaningless. If it wasn't falsifiable, if it wasn't meaningless, he thought something like string theory or, say, Freud's theory uh, was intellectually respectable, might contain great insights, but it really couldn't be counted as science unless you could test those insights with an experiment and conceivably show the whole f thing to be false. Now, he thought that this falsifiability criteria was a really big deal. He thought it somehow solved Hume's problem of induction. Can, can you help me understand that? Well, uh, uh, Hume's problem of induction has to do with uh, uh, what we think of as the two parts of logic. Deductive logic, which is uh, if A and B, then A, that kind of thing. If the premise is true, the conclusion absolutely has to be true. That's a well-understood part of logic. Inductive logic is when you go from uh, a number of instances to a generalization. I've noticed that all radio announcers are mellifluous, all the ones I've actually encountered. So I think all radio announcers, even the ones in the future that I'll encounter, will be mellifluous. That really doesn't follow. The premise could be true and the conclusion false. And Hume says, so that seems to be the basis of all human reasoning and knowledge, and yet it's not logically correct. What are we going to do about that? Oh, well, Popper says, well, we, well here's what we do. The problem with Hume's... Um, uh, with induction is, you think the conclusion is supposed to follow from the observations. So you observe all radio announcers are mellifluous, and you think, well, 
these are anyway, mellifluous, and you conclude all of them are. But that doesn't follow, like you said. Popper said, well, that gets it the wrong way around because science isn't really driven by observations. It's driven by conjectures. You make a conjecture, and then you subject it to the test. And you can never conclusively confirm the conjecture, but you can, by encountering a ill-spoken radio announcer, falsify the conjecture. So science should be falsifiable because it works by this conjecture and refutation model. And 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 Popper's ideas, as we noted in the, in the opening comment, have been taken very seriously by scientists. Uh, philosophers nitpick everything to death, but occasionally a philosopher is influential outside the field. And our roving philosophical reporter has uh, uh, phoned, at least, to Harvard, if not roamed all the way there, to find out more about how scientists feel about Popper. Even if we don't realize it, most of us are familiar with Karl Popper's idea of falsifiability, his concept that scientists must work not to prove, but to disprove their theories. Popper thought that a genuinely scientific theory has to stick its neck out, say something that could in principle be falsified, shown to be wrong by a specific observation we might make. That's the core idea. Peter Godfrey Smith is a professor of philosophy at Harvard University. Popper saw himself largely as just describing what scientists were doing all along. And in particular, in areas like physics, he thought this was the instinct of great scientists. So Einstein was his, his favorite example, someone who was quite willing to say how things would look if he was wrong. Godfrey Smith thinks Popper's idea that scientists should work to disprove their theories in favor of new ones is a good premise, but that it's too simple. As people after Popper have argued, large-scale change in science typically occurs not from a two-way relationship or confrontation between a theory and an observation, but via a three-way relationship where you have one theory and some contrasting theory and the two theories are being compared with respect to how they relate to some observation. He thinks the Popperian view of tossing out a problematic theory doesn't apply well to large-scale theories. Take the example of Newtonian physics, which was eclipsed by Einstein's relativity. There were a couple of things which were you know, seriously problematic for a Newtonian view, and the main one would be the Michelson-Morley experiment, which was designed to test the idea that there's an ether through which the Earth moves. So once that experiment failed to detect an ether, that was serious trouble for Newton. But it's not as if people then just sort of threw Newton on the trash heap. What made Einstein's view succeed was the fact that, you know, all things considered, it was giving the best possible way of rethinking the situation. For Godfrey Smith, falsifiability applies well to small and sometimes to medium-scale theories. For example, before the discovery of DNA, biologists Avery and Griffith falsified the idea that proteins were responsible for inheritance. They did that by taking pneumonia-causing bacteria. And what Avery and Griffith were able to do was show that bacteria could be changed in a way that was inherited, even though the material they were in contact with did not include intact protein molecules. Perhaps Popper's notion of falsifiability isn't the best way to frame what's scientific in the 21st century. In the case of physics, people worry a lot about string theory these days as something not just that couldn't be falsified so much, but as something that doesn't seem to have uh, what we can observe. And I, I think that's the right kind of question to be asking. We should be asking, 
not of a scientific theory, is it falsifiable, but does it have some of the appropriate kinds of contact with things we can observe and see. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Polly Stryker. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.